Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for the show. We're speaking on the morning of Friday, March 3rd, 2023. On this episode of the show, The Bronx, where do things stand in the borough and where is it heading? My guest is Bronx Borough President Vanessa Gibson. She's just given her 2023 State of the Borough Address her first since becoming Bronx Borough President in January of 2022. She laid out an agenda headlined by quite a few things, including related to public health, economic development, and much more. Borough President Gibson is here to discuss those plans and more about the Bronx. There's a lot to get to with the Borough President, including the always important topics that she touched on in her state of the borough of mass transit and transit access, affordable housing, public safety, and more. And of course, specific projects happening or proposed in the borough, including the redevelopment of the massive Kingsbridge Armory, the hip hop museum that's coming, four new Metro North stations and development around those stations, the new jail as part of the Rikers closure project, a possible casino in the borough, and the list goes on and on. As a reminder, the borough president is a position with somewhat limited decisive decision-making powers, but a significant bully pulpit. It has a formal and significant voice in land use matters, tens of millions of dollars annually in budgetary funds to distribute, the responsibility to appoint members to community boards and other bodies, including the city planning commission, community education councils, and more. Borough presidents can work with the city council, Vanessa Gibson used to be a city council member, of course, to introduce and advance legislation, but they don't get to vote. They are conveners. The position allows office holders a good bit of flexibility to focus on the issues of their choosing, crafting staff reports, pursuing legislative, budgetary, and other action, interacting with the mayor, the governor, and other elected officials, and of course, acting as an ambassador and a cheerleader for their borough and so on. This is our fourth fairly recent conversation with a borough president of the city, as I've sought to talk with each of the BPs about their agendas and often asking them to come on the show right around the time of their state of the borough address and agenda. I've spoken in recent months with Queensboro President Donovan Richards, Brooklyn Borough President Antonio Reynoso, and Manhattan Borough President Mark Levine, all close to or or uh, pegged around their state of the borough addresses. And we got into a lot with all of those officials, especially on some of the main responsibilities of the borough presidents related to land use matters, housing development, and so forth. You can find those three conversations at Max Politics, wherever you get podcasts or at the Gotham Gazette website. And I'm very happy to be joined today by Bronx Borough President Vanessa Gibson, who will be with me in just one moment. I'm also working on scheduling Staten Island Borough President Vito Fisella, so don't worry. Uh, we'll get to all five BPs here. He gave his first day of the borough address as BP in January. My guest today, Vanessa Gibson, is a Democrat, a former city council member who's just finished her first year in the role of BP after winning a tough, competitive 2021 race that was, for all purposes, decided in the primary that she won that June. Vanessa Gibson is the first Black person and the first woman to be Bronx Borough president. She previously represented the 16th City Council District, including parts of Central and West Bronx. In her eight years in the City Council, which came after a stint in the State Assembly, she focused on public safety, tenants' rights, and other issues. 
She chaired the city council's public safety committee, the subcommittee on the city's massive capital budget, and perhaps her biggest legislative accomplishment, although she can say what she thinks that was, is having been a co-lead sponsor along with now Manhattan BP Levine on the city's right to counsel law for tenants facing eviction in housing court, which helped lead to a significant decline in evictions in the pre-pandemic era and is now the focus of some challenges and attention as the city uh, is struggling a bit to follow that law. Vanessa Gibson joins me now. Borough President Gibson, thanks for being here. How are you? Thank you, Ben. I'm doing great. Very excited to always talk about our agenda and blueprint for the Bronx. <laughs> Excellent. So we are talking uh, 36 hours, I guess, after your State of the Borough address on yes. Wednesday night. Um, so we'll get into a whole bunch of things. But what are a couple of things that you want to highlight for listeners at the top of the agenda, things that you really focused on in your speech that um, you've either been working on in your first year as borough president or you're pledging to work on now in your second and beyond? What are a couple of the top priorities for your office that you want to list off and mention uh, right off the bat here? Right. So some of the top priorities for our administration moving forward is really focusing on the Bronx being a borough of opportunities and the highlights of being a cultural revolution and a renaissance, boosting tourism and focusing on cultural institutions and really bringing tourism back to the Bronx. The second is healthcare, maternal healthcare as one of my biggest priorities, focusing on wraparound services for Black and Latino women who are more likely to die during childbirth. Housing, uh, I am ready to build along with my fellow borough presidents, affordable housing opportunities and home ownership opportunities, which builds a pathway to the middle class. And finally, uh, but certainly not the only, is economic development. It is a pathway to prosperity when you talk about jobs, good paying, stable union jobs that really create stability for many of the families I represent. One of the things that stuck out to me from uh, your uh, State of the Borough address that hits that last category, so let's talk about it uh, now, mm -hmm. is talking about the Bronx as a potential hub for the burgeoning cannabis industry. Yes. What, what are you trying to do on that? What are you hopeful about? Of course, the way that the state law legalizing uh, adult use recreational cannabis was designed was to try to ensure opportunity for people uh, previously convicted of lower level marijuana offenses. Obviously, many people from the Bronx faced challenges around those offenses during, you know, the war on drugs and and the heightened criminalization of marijuana. Um, so that that must be a key factor in in sort of the idea that Bron some Bronx sites would be able to do that. But there's also barriers to that. You have to have not only have a conviction of a certain kind, but you have to show some uh, that you you've you know had some ability to run a business. You know, that's not always the easiest thing to do. Um, so, so what are you hoping to do on cannabis and what, what can your office, the borough presidency, do on this issue? Right. So I talked about it in our state of the borough because I fully believe that cannabis is an industry that we must embrace with the legalization of marijuana passed by the legislature a few years ago. I believe it can really be a game changer. And I look at it from both an equity and a justice perspective. Equity because we want to create and be a next emerging entrepreneurs and small business owners. But we also know from a justice perspective, we want to right the wrongs of systemic racism and mass incarceration due 
to marijuana prohibition and many black and Latino men and women that have been jailed and incarcerated and traumatized because of marijuana uh, prohibitions. So I look at it from both the equity and the jobs perspective and justice, and I really believe in what it can do. And I joined last June with the Bronx Community Foundation, Bronx Defenders and others, and we had a cannabis showcase at the Bronx GPO on 149th Street. They hosted us on a weekend, Friday to Sunday, and we had a cannabis showroom. We brought in private sector, city state agencies, the Office of Cannabis Management, Small Business Services, and we really showcased what cannabis is all about. And we want this industry to be emerging, but we want to make sure it's done in a legal way. And as you said, it's really hard for entrepreneurs and small businesses because there are requirements there's certain capital that's necessary. Your credit, you know, needs to be up and running. So there's lots of things that we know uh, many people face as barriers. And so we are trying to help support them in that effort. Some of the legal assistance, the technical assistance, the application process. So we have worked with the Community Foundation, Dr. Misha Porter, and the Bronx Defenders. And we've put together this cohort where we're actually helping provide free pro bono legal assistance for anyone that is interested in becoming a legal dispensary. Uh, we know that several have opened up in the city of New York, predominantly in Manhattan, lower Manhattan, but we know that it's only a matter of time before it comes to the Bronx. I know that there are a lot of unlicensed operators, and I believe that we can turn them into legal operators. And we've talked to some of those workers, and they don't even know they're working for an unlicensed cannabis uh, employer. They don't even know. They just get jobs and they don't know. So I feel like it's an industry that we're trying to make sure it's legalized and done in decency and in order, but there will always be those that want to take advantage of the system. And we cannot accept that because the people that are doing this legitimately are working really hard to get these licenses so they can become a cannabis dispensary. You know, you hit right on my next question on the subject, which was about the proliferation of the illegal shops, because there's obviously standing up a new industry is challenging. And the state did it with a lot of different regulations, mm -hmm. as we are getting at some with very good intentions, of course, to try to right past wrongs. But um, the, the the way in which so many illegal shops or shops selling illegal have proliferated has that been something where the state and the city really were just sort of caught sleeping on that? Is that something where you were trying to get more attention to this issue, but it was just such a challenge because of so many of the other challenges that the new mayor was facing when he came into office? I mean, this is, you know, especially with your background chairing the public safety committee, of the city council, you know, I'm wondering how, how what you're reflecting on with this challenge, because it seems like they've been cracking down a lot more lately, but things really got out of hand for a while on this. I agree. I think things really did get out of hand. And of course, I always look at ways of improvement and really collaboration. You know, when the state enacts these major reforms, bail reform, raise the age, cannabis legalization, there has to be messaging for the entire state across the spectrum. But we also have to coordinate with our law enforcement partners. There needs to be training for NYPD, for probation, for corrections, for the sheriff's department, you know, to make sure that we understand what is happening. Because at the end of the day, they enforce 
everything. And if they don't have the tools in their toolbox, then they're going to be unprepared. I don't think we could have ever envisioned the eruption of the smoke shops the way we have seen, right? Before the legalization of cannabis, remember we had hookah. So we had a lot of our smoke shops that had hookah all over the place. And now it's not just hookah. Now it's e-cigarettes. Now it's vaping. I mean, there's so much exposure to our children. And I understand, I do. As a young black woman, I understand. As a, a, an aunt of a nephew and my niece, I understand what children are experiencing. And so I hear a lot from constituents that are concerned about the proliferation, the smoke shops. And what we've also seen in the past several weeks is we've seen a lot of violence. We've seen robberies. We've seen shootings at some of these smoke shops because people know that they not only have marijuana, but they have cash. And that is a challenge. So I've talked to NYPD here in the borough about how we can crack down on them. But you understand and you know that as, as quickly as we close one, it reopens again or it opens in another space. And so it's a revolving system that we have to get a handle on. And so we need our partners at the state. We need OCM to come in and help us because as we expand on the legalized ones, that means that more of the unlicensed ones are going to emerge too. Um, so I really think, again, we have to do more on education, more on outreach. I would love to see more PSAs and public service campaigns and announcements about what the legalization really means, because I do believe that there is a big divide when it comes to generations. The older generation doesn't understand what we've done and they don't necessarily like it from the perspective of health and asthma and other debilitating you know, disease, diseases that people live with. And then the younger generation, they're all customers and clients, so they love it. And, and so I think sometimes, depending on who you talk to, there's this varying of opinions as to the legalization of marijuana. So what I'm trying to do as bar president is find a medium, find a balance. How can we embrace it in a legal way, crack down on the unlicensed, but also do a lot more to educate. I don't want children to be subjected to e-cigarettes and vaping and all these other things that I know are not helpful. They're harmful for our kids, especially representing the Bronx, when we have such high rates of asthma and heart disease and, and obesity and so many things we're plagued with. This would only exacerbate that. And I'm very mindful of that. Right. I mean, you get, you know, you get at the issue of the question of of does prohibition of something like this work and we obviously saw that it that it hasn't really worked so they they decided to legalize and regulate and then you have to have the education piece and you have to have people understanding the the risks and the dangers and and ensuring that the the process of legalization doesn't just mean um you know necessarily a, a free-for-all mm -hmm. related related to what we're discussing here one of your campaign promises that came up in your state of the borough address was to um, create in the borough president's office a division, an office of public safety. Say a little bit about what that is going to look like and do um, when you get it up and running, I assume, this year. Yes. So I've talked about this extensively. It's been a priority of mine and just getting it up and running, of course, is a challenge. It's never been done before. For. Public safety to me is the prosperity to uh, the middle class, uh, to stability, to quality of life, to making sure that New Yorkers are given the fundamental rights that they are afforded. I think everyone has an expectation to be safe in their communities and their neighborhoods. And I think a lot of people have felt that the city is spiraling out of control and they don't feel safe. Subway, shovings, mental illness, and a lot of things that we've been confronted with during the COVID-19 era. So our office of public safety is going to serve as 
an intermediary between law enforcement, all of our stakeholders, and the public, the crisis management system, the anti-gun violence advocates, all of the credible messengers, the trusted partners that are on the ground every day doing work to address violence, but also prevent it. School safety agents, which you know I support, NYPD, probation, corrections, right? Working with young people that are in the criminal justice system, but also making sure that they don't enter the criminal justice system in the first place. I fully believe in prevention and not all, always detention and being reactionary, which is what we often do. I cannot tell you how often my office has had to work with these families that are affected by violence, the shootings, the stabbings, the school violence. We reach out to these families and they are broken. And you know, they need a myriad of assistance from the funeral expenses, burial, to trauma-informed care, to counseling, emergency transfer of other kids, emergency housing, because most mom and dads want to relocate. It is hard. That is a job in itself. And I've been doing that since I've been an elected official. And now as borough president, it's magnified even more because I deal with the whole borough. We had a quadruple shooting a couple of weeks ago and a mom lost two sons, two. One passed on Friday, the other passed on Sunday. And she had other children. We had a 15-year-old that was killed a couple of weeks ago. And that mom had five other children. So we are constantly like troubleshooting, working with crime victims, working with this office. So what I want my Office of Public Safety to do is work on preventative measures, but also work on getting all of these stakeholders together in a collaborative way and talking about how we can keep our boroughs safe, how we can focus on the mental health, the youth development, the safe spaces, the recreation centers, the jobs piece, putting everything together. It's never been done before. And I don't think anyone has an office of public safety, but because I know that's the primary issue that Bronxites care about, whether it's subway safety, traffic safety, domestic violence, gender-based violence, elder abuse. I mean, I put them all together because if you are a victim in your community, if you are a victim of a crime, whether it's identity theft or any other crime, then you need services. So my unit will put all of that together because right now my ombudsman team gets those calls, reaches out to mom and dad, navigates with crime victims. And so we want to put this space in one unit so that that can be their only focus and build out the staff. I'm going to have a director and then we're going to have liaisons in the office. Now, I understand some of the need you're getting at for this, but isn't this sort of supposed to be happening within the NYPD? You know, isn't, isn't a lot of that supposed to be up to the mayor and the police department to do a lot of that? Or are you saying it's helpful always to have someone with a borough-wide perspective come in and say, Here's more of where the need is. Here's where we need to coordinate better. Here's some hot spots you might not be seeing or things like that. I mean, is that sort of the another way of, of thinking about it? Absolutely. I mean, I think on the public safety side policy, yes. Our unit will work with the NYPD around safe streets, around, you know, coordination, NCOs, you know, patrol officers, housing, transit. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but I think the goal of my unit is to also have the human touch. And that's one thing that I don't think NYPD always does because if you are a victim of a crime and you have to work with the detective bureau, their job is to investigate, they're investigators. So they have to go after those that are the offenders of crime. They have to gather evidence, get witnesses and build a case for the district attorney's office who will ultimately prosecute the case. And we've heard concerns from many families that, you know, there's always not that level of sympathy. And again, it's because a lot of detectives don't have time. They have a huge 
caseload. And again, they're not giving that individual attention to every family. So we want to put both of the NYPD work, the detective investigative work, as well as their community family support in one unit as well. Mm-hmm. On the broader issue of public safety, the mayor has been in office about 14 months now, as have you, as of you know, many other officials who were elected in the 2021 cycle, of course, huge turnover in city government. Um, is the Bronx getting what it needs in terms of attention from the mayor who came in focused on public safety? Are you seeing the progress? You know, we had these pan- pandemic spikes in crime, obviously, across the board. Are you seeing the resources? Are you seeing the progress? And I know, you know, you've been someone always uh, focused on both, you know, Good policing, fair policing, but also, you know, ensuring that the NYPD has a key role in public safety. Are you seeing the resources, the focus enough from the mayor and the NYPD, as well as policing being done the way you want it done to both ensure safety and fairness and justice? What's your assessment so far of of the mayor and the police commissioner, Keyshawn Sewell? Yes, I definitely see the impact of the mayor's leadership and Commissioner Sewell. And I also want to recognize First Deputy Commissioner Eddie Caban, who was a Bronx guy uh, and knows the Bronx and used to serve as a cop in the Bronx. I have seen the attention. You know, remember, the mayor came out saying he was a five borough mayor. And I appreciate that as representative of a borough that hasn't always been given that priority. He won the Bronx in high numbers, and he always said that at the beginning of his administration. Very good friends with Ruben Diaz Jr., with my predecessor, and an overwhelming level of support and popularity in the Bronx. And I think that speaks volumes to his commitment to the Bronx. He's always here. And in our first couple of months, from the fire at uh, Twin Parks to the 11-month-old baby that was shot in her car seat in January, there was a cop shot in Belmont in February, Just in those three months, we had a lot happening and the mayor showed up. He was at Jacoby visiting the officer at St. Barnabas. And I appreciate that. And what I have seen from the perspective of NYPD is actually more deployment of officers. Every class that had graduated from the academy, we have been getting a lot of cops. And we have obviously we have overtime. We have the NSTs, the neighborhood safety teams that are out trying to get guns off the street. So I've seen a lot of our main precincts, the 4-0, the 4-2, the 4-3, 4-4, 4-6, 4-7, and the 4-8 and 5-2 get a lot of attention. And then the last class that graduated a couple of months ago, I was really impressed because this never happens. All 12 of our precincts, including the 4-5, which is one that's not high in terms of crime, but covers Co-op City, and the 4-9, which is Morris Park, Van Ness, which we've had some peaks in violence over there as well. We got cops there. And the 5-0, which covers Riverdale, but people always think that, you know, again, it's Riverdale, but guess what? It covers Kingsbridge and Van Cortland too. And so I was very grateful. And I called the commissioner to thank her because all 12 precincts got cops. And I think for a lot of residents, if you polled them today, they want to see more cops. They want to see the visibility as they travel to and from. They don't want to see cops using abusive tactics. They want to see good policing, the presence of cops along our major corridors where we've seen crime. The 4-8 is on my mind because of that quadruple shooting on Tremont in the middle of the day. I can't get it out of my mind for people that were shot. But I have seen the improvement. And I know end of year 2022, I know we did really well as a borough because unfortunately, you know, the Bronx and Brooklyn North 
cover about 20% of the major crime categories in the entire city of New York. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't get lost on me that at any given time, there's something that's happening in my borough. So you're, you're pleased overall with the resources and you think they are translating into the progress that you yes, want to see. Absolutely. And, yes. And in terms of the sort of broader holistic approach that obviously you've spoken about, about taking a public safety, you've already mentioned in your state of the borough address, but also in this conversation, a whole variety of things that are not just police, right? So, so you obviously take that perspective in terms of things like employment opportunities in terms of things like um, schooling and, you know, these issues with chronic absenteeism among kids, the Bronx was hit really hard by COVID in terms of both the public health impacts and the economic impacts. Right. Um, and and so, so many of these sort of other pieces of obviously things that help create public safety as well uh, and opportunity. Let's, let's talk about a couple of those economic opportunity. Um, there's, there's lots of different projects and things coming to the Bronx, but say a couple of things about your priorities in terms of development and economic opportunity that, that can translate into opportunities for Bronxites in the sort of near term. What are some of the things that you're either working on or on, on your radar that are about economic development and opportunity that are not sort of years down the road, but are something that, you know, can be, um, you know, a, a bright spot on the horizon for people who are looking for work or, or better work. Absolutely. So from an economic development perspective and our new president, Rob Walsh at the BOEDC, we're very strategic and intentional in our work to create more jobs. During the pandemic, the height of this global uh, pandemic, we were at 25.6% of an unemployment rate. Now, post-pandemic, we're down to seven and a half. Compared to four other boroughs, we're still the highest unemployment. And we have to look at the new jobs sector, future jobs and workforce development. So when we are able to make decisions on a lot of housing projects, a lot of ULERPs, we're always looking at the local jobs, the MWBE provisions, the union jobs. We're working with building trades and many others on apprenticeship opportunities because those are tangible jobs that can happen right now, in the right now. We want to make sure that people have a real pathway. They are prepared. We want to build on a lot of the things that Ruben Diaz started, a lot of the big capital items like the Metro North expansion, the hip hop museum. We recently opened the Bronx Children's Museum in December. We have the work down at La Peninsula, the Hunts Point Produce Market, the Hunts Point Forward Initiative, the uh, renovations going on at La Riviera, a.k.a. the Orchard Beach, uh, of course, Kingsbridge Armory, which is a little ways out and capping the Cross Bronx. Those are obviously much you know, more longer term projects. But for the immediacy right now, we want to make sure that we're getting people back to work. So we are looking at embracing the tech industry and gaming for what it can mean for the young professional community for the young Gen X community that are graduating from college, that want to stay in the Bronx, that need jobs to keep them here. And the housing, we need to keep them here as well. So we're looking a lot at tech. We're looking a lot at gaming. We are also having conversations now with Montefiore and Einstein on research. Uh, because I realized, I saw the mayor did an announcement in Manhattan. And I know that research is something that's going to stimulate a new wealth of jobs that are emerging in the healthcare sector. And I think that's great. And I want to make sure that we tap into that as well. You know, we 
have been behind for a really long time. And I feel like a lot of times we have to play catch up. But we not only have to play catch up, we have to double our efforts just so that we can compete at a level playing field with our other counterparts in the city of New York. And realizing that it's the Bronx, we have to make it attractive. And so you have to be able to stimulate the economy using some of our existing infrastructure to bring more people to the Bronx in a real tangible way. I know you meant gaming in a different way, but of course it brings back the notion of a casino. Do you want to see a casino in the Bronx? I know, yes, you, I know I you're in a different type of gaming, but 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 yep. do, do you want to see a casino in the Bronx? So let, let me clarify. Yes, you're right. I meant video yeah. gaming and the yes. actual design and design. video yep. gaming. Right. Understood. But Absolutely. I think casino gambling is a worthy and important conversation to have. Um, of course, I've been able to now meet with the Bally's uh, Corporation who are looking at a potential site at Ferry Point Park uh, where we have the Trump golf course. And, you know, my only concern with that particular site is it's right in the middle of the World uh, Resorts in Queens and the Empire MGM in Yonkers. And respect to my colleagues in those counties who have done a tremendous amount of work to build community support for their expansion. They have the existing infrastructure. Structure. I don't know if the Bronx is ready for the expanded opportunity because we don't have the infrastructure yet. That site is currently a brownfield, a landfill, and I just don't know if we're ready yet. I am prepared to support the expansion of Empire because I visited a couple months ago and learned that a third of their employees are from the Bronx and they have longstanding jobs. Many of them have been there 10, 15, 20 years and they have good, stable jobs. And I appreciate that. And of course, I'm friends with the mayors of Mount Vernon and Yonkers and the Westchester County executive. And so I see a huge benefit if Empire gets their expansion. But I don't want to take away from the Bronx and what it could mean. And I think the community of Throgsneck is a different community. I want to be able to make sure that there's a real community benefit. But you understand when you're building out casinos, you're going to have hotel, restaurant, parking, small businesses, retail. So you're building a whole neighborhood within a neighborhood and you're bringing in clientele. I want to make this beneficial for the Bronx. So I have not yet, as I still learn about this proposal, I don't see the vision of where the clientele comes from in the Bronx. And I do want to make sure that Throgsneck and the community is in the conversation because again it's a different neighborhood and i want to make sure that with respect to the residents that are there that this is something you know i'm hearing 5000 parking spaces so that means that we are catering to people coming in and not necessarily the bronx but again ben worthy conversation well, yeah. i embrace casino gambling mm-hmm. but also know that there are some unintended consequences that we must always be mindful of well i was just going to say when you're talking about who the clientele is you know the best thing for the Bronx might be that most of the people who work at the casino are from the Bronx and most of the people gambling at the casino and losing their money are not from the Bronx. Right. I mean, that might be the best, the best situation uh, for, for any locality. Um, All right. That's interesting. I mean, for folks that don't know, I'm hoping to have an episode of the show just on the casino process real soon. So stay tuned for that. But, but for folks who don't know, there's existing casinos, as you mentioned, in the downstate region, but they're not right. allowed to have the full table games and Correct. other things that would that you're when you say expansion, that's exactly what you're talking about is about going from the sort of um, limited casinos that they have now mm-hmm. to the full fledged casinos. Correct. And as you get at the ones with the current licenses, 
some people believe might be first in line to get the expanded yes. licenses. So yes, I think they have an advantage. They do. They've been right. doing the work and they've been really reaching out to the local communities as well. Um, we only have about 10 more minutes together. So let me, okay. let me try to get to a few more things. I'm, I've got a long list here, but I'll only pick a few more. Uh, Kingsbridge okay. Armory, you're going through yes. a big process on the Kingsbridge Armory. We did a, we did a, uh, a pretty exhaustive piece at Gotham Gazette a couple uh, months back on this, that the process has restarted for community input and the future of the massive Kingsbridge Armory. I know that you're letting this be community led. I know that you're working on this with many partners at various levels of government, but in terms of your vision, what are a couple of the things that you feel like are really important that are part of where the Kingsbridge Armory goes ultimately? Right. So I am very clear about my intentions and my priorities and certain buckets that are non-negotiable for me. Whatever we do at the Kingsbridge Armory has to focus on culture, boosting tourism, creating good paying jobs, supporting small businesses and street vendors who I believe are entrepreneurs themselves. I want to have a healthcare component. I want to do something like vertical farming because I want to focus on food hubs. I would like to see a tech hub and I want workforce development training. I want to look at current jobs as well as future jobs like gaming, like what I talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, those are my uh, priorities, not negotiable. I want everything to be on the table. And I do think that there is space for recreation for young people, a recreation space. I was in the council when Lori Cumbo negotiated the Bedford Union Armory, and it was not easy. It was very controversial because it has a housing component to it and it was mm -hmm. market and affordable. While this armory does not have a housing component, but it's three times the size. It's huge. It's the largest in the country and has the potential to do so much for the Kingsbridge neighborhood and for the entire borough and the city. And, and it can be a game changer. So for me, boosting culture, boosting tourism, jobs, small businesses, those are some of the things that we want to focus on. Okay. And are there any uses that you feel like should be off the table? Is, is how is a housing component something you think should not even be really discussed for this? Yeah, facility. I don't think I think it's zoned as a C44. So I don't think that it allows for housing. I don't think mm -hmm. housing would work with some of the multiple uses we're talking about. I mean, people have come to me about a potential studio, a movie theater, a recreation center, healthcare center, potentially the home for a museum of salsa. We're working with Tito Puente okay. Jr. And, you know, there's lots of opportunities, but I don't envision housing. But I do want to have some component of a worker cooperative model. Okay. Interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot more to watch for there as you continue the process. You mentioned uh, joining your fellow borough presidents, especially those, um, uh, well, including including BP Vasella on Staten Island, but especially the others who are very focused on more housing and more housing development and being ready to build. Um, where do you see the greatest opportunity for more housing growth in the Bronx? Um, there's obviously the new plans from both the governor and the mayor that are looking to really juice up housing production uh, in the city and the state. Uh, the governor's plans would, you know, put targets that have to be met by every community district, which is pretty interesting. And you talked about this in your state of the borough address that every neighborhood has to do its part in the in the housing affordability crisis. Um, so where do you where do you see the greatest opportunity for more housing in the Bronx and sort of what's your perspective on um, the plans that are in motion and how you're going to be, you know, a voice in that? 
Right. I definitely think that Mayor Adams and Governor Hochul are very ambitious in their agenda to create thousands and thousands of units of affordable housing. And I think a lot of things have to happen as we see that come to fruition. We have to speed up housing production. There's too many families living in temporary housing and shelters today, coupled with the asylum families of single adults and children that are coming into the system. The system is overwhelmed and we're not getting families into permanent housing as quickly as we should. We definitely need to make Section 8 vouchers more available and looking at project-based Section 8 and deeper affordability, even beyond MIH. I know there's conversations around a new 421A plan and, and potentially J51, and I support many of that, but I want to make sure that there are deeper affordability options. I struggle as borough president because not every neighborhood, not every council district has done its fair share, and I'm very intentional about making sure that it does. It's not fair that the same neighborhoods continue to Bear the burden, bear the burden of saturated housing, of affordable housing, of shelters, of social service programs over and over and over again, whereas some neighborhoods say no, 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 and that's it. And I think these neighborhoods sometimes have not really looked at the total spectrum of what we're trying to do and really looking at what affordable housing means. Affordable housing is the prerequisite to home ownership. We don't want tenants to be lifetime tenants. We eventually want them to move towards a pathway, upward mobility of becoming homeowners. That's what everyone's desire should be. And we have to get them there at some point. So there are projects that are coming down the pipeline. I'm sure you know, Fordham Landing is going to be huge. That's about 2,500 new units of housing. It's going to be an upzoning on the west side of the Bronx in the Fordham Heights community with Councilmember Sanchez. Then there's potential opportunities in the Wakefield and Wakefield Village community in the Northeast Bronx with Councilmember Riley and Councilmember Dinowitz. Uh, there's potential opportunities in the South Bronx. Some smaller projects, a couple hundred, not a thousand, uh, because these projects to me are really going to create new neighborhoods neighborhoods. You can't build a thousand units of housing and not talk about a new school. So those are things that we are putting on the table. We want schools, we want supermarkets, we want healthcare centers. We want all of that to be a part of a package. Just like when I did Jerome rezoning, we got two schools and millions of dollars for other programs because you realize that families are coming in, they're staying, they are immigrating into the community and you want them to transition their kids in school, the local parks, the playgrounds, the libraries, all of the neighborhood partners, they really should be stable. And that's one of the concerns that we get from some neighborhoods that don't want affordable housing. They always cite the density, traffic issues, the burden on local cops, the hospital, 911 system, and those are valid concerns. And so what we don't always do, and I've said to the mayor, is when we look at these projects that bring in 1,000, 2,000 units of housing, we should automatically look at adding more cops, adding more uh, hospital workers to the local hospital that's there, because those are some of the issues people say, we can't afford 500 more people. We can't mm -hmm. absorb more. Mm -hmm. The traffic is a nightmare. You can't even get to and from school, you know, things like that. So that's why we're right. trying to be a bar president that represents now. all neighborhoods and looks at the density. Now, you also know sometimes people say those things, but mostly they might be true or they might have a grain of truth, but people also just don't want their neighborhoods to change. They don't want, as you said, they don't want more development. They have certain, uh, in some cases, unfounded concerns about what affordable housing means for a, for a neighborhood, yep. things like that. And you've already begun with with some of the work you've done to sort of have some of those tougher, take some of those tougher stances and have some of those tougher conversations and say, everybody's got to 
every every right. part of the borough has to do do its part that's and right. that that's <laughs> that's going well for you so far i mean you're you're comfortable with that in moving ahead with some of the you know again if the, if the if if some version of the governor's plan goes through that mandates growth targets for every community district i mean that's going to that's going to lead to some serious uh discussions intense uh, conversations about development in some some bronx communities Yep. And, you know, the reality is I don't think these communities have always been challenged. And sometimes they have uh, been very resistant, uh, very nimbyism and in opposition to projects. And unfortunately, the elected officials that represent those particular districts have stood with the communities. And I understand. But this is a new administration. This is a new uh, wave of leadership. And we have to be responsible. We have to be collaborative. And ultimately, we can and we will support responsible development that brings jobs, that brings stability. Because at the end of the day, we have got to be a city of yes that welcomes residents from all communities. And we can't have this idea that affordable housing brings criminals and more crime. And some of the things I've heard in my tenure that blow my mind. Someone told me that people that live in affordable housing don't work hard. I said, would you believe that some of them actually have two jobs because they can't afford the rent because they're rent burdened? But those are the people we have to help the most so that they can have a pathway to home ownership, just like you were able to get, you know? And so sometimes they're not the best of conversations, but I am going to push. I'm not going to be a borough president that is, you know, talking about the same neighborhoods over and over again when it's not fair, when we know that every neighborhood really needs to have these same discussions. And I'm going to do more to prepare my community boards when ULERPs come so they are prepared for some of these projects that are a little bit more controversial uh, that they may not be prepared for. In our last couple uh, minutes here, I, I was going to start with this. You said something that took me in a different direction. So I wanted to make sure that we get back to it, though, because public health was a real focus of your uh, State of the Borough speech. And it's a big focus of your agenda and your administration. And I was going to start with it, like I said, and something took me in a different direction. So I want to make sure we get to it. Tell people a, a couple of the top promises and, and plans that you are putting into motion related to public health, including maternal health in the in the Bronx. Right. So maternal health is super important to me. Black women are 9.2 times more likely than white women to die during childbirth uh, because they don't get the same level of care. I am a huge advocate of birth workers, doulas and midwives because I believe that everyone should have the health equity and justice they rightfully deserve. Uh, I am going to be building out a brand new Bronx birthing center, which does not exist and exists in other parts of our city. We're working with Mayor Adams and Governor Hochul, and we are go also going to release a birthing center report that's going to highlight some of these disparities. And we are very laser focused on diabetes. We're building out uh, a task force because many families live with diabetes today and many of them that are living with them are older adults. And we've been focusing on lupus and fibroids because they predominantly affect women of color. And we're really working with our hospital partners, our FQHCs, school-based health centers, all of our hospitals from Montefiore to St. Barnabas, Bronx Care, and our three public hospitals, Lincoln, Jacoby, and North Central. You remember we saved the neonatal unit at North Central, which closed 
for a little while and was now reopened. Um, so we want to make sure that all birthing individuals have access to care in the Bronx. To me, it's a, a matter of equity and justice and fairness in the system. And when you think about us being number 62 out of all 62 counties, that number is alarming. We have been making progress in other factors, other indicators by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, but we're still number 62. So to me, this is happening because of systemic racism. And I believe that our health and human services team, we're building out, we have an HIV AIDS task force, we have a domestic violence task force, we're building out a diabetes task force. So we're doing a lot of work. But as you know, sometimes, whether it's MPOX, it's Legionnaires, it's Ebola, there's always something that erupts, that hits the city of New York like a storm, but then when it hits the Bronx, it's like a tarantula. Um, and so we have to react to that in which we will. But I think our short and long term goals are very clear in our strategic plan. And just quickly, the birthing center you mentioned, is that in the very early stages of development or do you know where that's going to be? It's in the very early stages. I'm actually okay. looking at some underutilized city-owned property. You know the city has okay. a lot of property across the city that's not utilized. So we've been working closely with DCAS, with Dawn uh, Pinock, the commissioner, because I do want to make sure that we can solidify a site uh, as quickly as possible. All right. We got to a lot, and I'll leave you there. Thank you very much for all the time. Bronx Borough President Vanessa Gibson, thanks for joining me to talk about some of your uh, state of the borough agenda and other issues facing the Bronx. And we'll catch up more down the line. Absolutely. Yes. Hope there's a part two so we can talk about youth and getting ready for the summertime youth employment. Uh, the summer youth employment applications are already available and we want to make sure we focus on young people applying. But we also have, again, my brother's keeper, my sister's keeper, lots of things on youth. Absolutely. And so we're speaking here on Friday, March 3rd, so people can hear that and have some time to uh, apply. And also worth noting, you mentioned community boards before. I saw you extended the deadline for community board applications. So people have until March 15th to apply to the borough president's office to be on a community board in the Bronx. So people should take a look at that as well. All right. Bronx Borough President Vanessa Gibson, thanks very much. Thank you. Happy Women's History Month to all my women out there. (laughs) 